It's such a gorgeous spot that you know you just kind of want to linger. So I like to linger until the fireflies come out. So it's a nice treat in July. The location is one part of it. Being out here in the farm country is wonderful. But of course the pizza is great too. Just being able to come out and have a pizza out in the country where it's beautiful and quiet and there's no cell phone reception is like such a such a treat to be able to do. What you just heard were a few snippets from conversations I recorded during my visit in the summer of 2022 to Luna Valley Farm, a pizza farm located just outside of Decorah, Iowa. Hello and welcome to Warmly, Iowa. I'm Sarah Davis, your host. I'm originally from Iowa, but like many others, I left to pursue career and adventure elsewhere. Then, a couple of years ago, after two decades living in big cities on both coasts, I returned. I didn't want to just return, though. I wanted to come home, and that's what I'm doing here. I like to think of this podcast as my love letter to Iowa, my home state, and to rediscovering community. This season, it starts with one simple question, and that was one that I would be asked time and time again. Dear Iowa, why does everyone think I grew up on a farm? Warmly, Sarah. It was a gorgeous summer day in July, which maybe you can hear in the birds singing and the kids playing in the background. It felt like a summer scene I might have read about of farms past, where people in the community talk with each other and break bread together until the sun sets. It was one of my first times being around any type of large community gathering since 2020. Everyone there spoke fondly of community, the owners of Luna Valley Farm, and the importance of supporting local farmers, not to mention the joy and delight they experienced eating the pizza. We've got animals here that are grazing around the farm in the neighborhood that people get the chance to see. And I think it's great for kids to be here eating pizza and understanding more fully where food comes from. That was Marin Beard, who owns the Luna Valley Farm. So on our farm, we tend to say that Tom is the farmer, or I say this, Tom's the farmer, and I'm the pizza farmer. After a youth spent in rural Wisconsin, Marin Beard attended Luther College in Decorah, Iowa, where she studied environmental studies in Spanish. She fell in love with the area and went on to earn a master's of science in sustainable food systems and joined the team at Luther College as the assistant director for the Center for Sustainable Communities, where she worked for 10 years on issues related to campus sustainability. These days, Marin works full-time on the family farm. She spends a lot of time in the kitchen during the week making dough, rolling dough balls, and preparing pizza ingredients using their wood-fired oven. And that's how I met Marin behind the bar, greeting customers on pizza night. So what is a pizza farm? Pizza farming is a form of agritourism, a community-supported way to help sustain farms and rural communities. Oftentimes, the pizza ingredients are grown on the farm or sourced locally. I first learned about pizza farms in the most random way. To make a long story short, I ended up on Dave and Anna Geyer's farm for an entrepreneurship retreat and learned after the fact that they had, for many years, run a wildly successful pizza farm just outside of Iowa City, where Dr. Brian Rumsey once lived. 
there is a farm, which I believe you're familiar with as well. Dave and Anna Geyer, uh, west of Iowa City, have a farm. They had a project for several years called Geyer's Oven. They have a, a couple of wood-fired ovens out at the farm. And so every couple of weeks during the summer and fall, like during the warmer months, they would open up the farm. They would crank out pizzas in their ovens and they would open up to uh, anybody who'd want to come. You, There was either a fee or a suggested donation that you paid and you got to have all you could eat pizza. And so actually I had heard about this idea of a pizza farm going back maybe 10 to 15 years, I would say, probably when I was in Kansas, maybe. And I knew that they did it. I knew there was some people doing it in um, Wisconsin, but I had never really had the chance to go to a pizza farm until we moved back to Iowa. And that was one of the first things on my agenda, actually, was to get to the Geyer's farm and try out their pizza night. I loved it. My wife loved it. It became one of our favorite summertime activities. Dr. Rumsey is Environmental Sustainability Administrator at Wartburg College, which is why I wanted to talk with him initially to unpack what community-driven sustainable farming is and why it's important. Just curious, since you've heard about these for a while and you've had the experience now, how do pizza farms contribute to sustainability? Probably the biggest thing that they can achieve, or at least one of the biggest things, would be to connect people with where food comes from in a really visceral way. You can go to a restaurant if you live in a place with a decent population. You can find restaurants that are farm-to-table restaurants. So, you know, you can patronize places that try to buy their food when possible from local producers. But I think it's a completely different experience to actually be there where the food is, has been grown. I think most pizza farms wouldn't necessarily produce all of their own uh, ingredients on the farm. That's pretty difficult considering everything that goes into a pizza. But the idea, I think, is that you at least try to have some toppings available each time you serve. There's different ways you can look at that. You can look at the value of helping people understand food production a little bit more and experience where it comes from. You can look at actually reduction of food miles. So that's a, an important metric that you look at. You know, if you buy tomatoes that were produced in California or Mexico or, you know, things produced in South America, that's a lot of miles that that food has to travel to your plate, which means a lot of energy to transport it. Also means it's probably not going to be quite as tasty as it could be if it's had to be in transport for so long. So by eating food at the source where it's produced, you both eliminate the food miles and you also should be getting the best taste because you can get food that was harvested at the peak of ripeness and didn't have to sit in refrigeration or in transit for a long time. Those would certainly be a, you know, a couple of things I would point to. Yeah. And you mentioned the visceral experience what was your experience like in those early days? Well, you might think about that famous quote in the movie Field of Dreams where they say, is this heaven? It's Iowa. That was kind of what it felt like to me and I think to my wife, Chapina, as well, to be out there on the pizza farm. And there were even other similarities to the movie. You know, like if you're familiar with the movie, like toward the end, you see just this stream of cars mm -hmm that's going to the baseball field. And that was kind of the way it was at the Geyer's farm as well. They would get, I'm not sure if they ever exceeded a thousand people, but seven, 800, I think they would have huge crowds. It really felt like a case of, you know, they built it and people came and it was fun because there was a lot of people there, obviously. And you sometimes had to wait a little bit to get your food, but their farm is expansive enough that you could usually find a place to sit 
where it didn't feel like you were packed in like sardines. So you, you could enjoy being on a beautiful farm. You could be chatting with your friends. I actually grew up in that community. So for me, it was also a sense of returning to roots. You know, I would often, if not usually see people I knew there, and it was a great place to connect with old friends and acquaintances. I was struck by what someone had said during that day at Luna Valley Farm. I like that we're supporting the next generation of farmers who are farming in a way that my great-grandparents farmed. What does it mean to farm the way our great-grandparents farmed? Is it realistic in today's world? I guess my first thought would be that the change in types of production wouldn't be necessarily so reflective of changing ownership patterns, but more reflecting like uh, changes in market incentives and what makes sense from an economic perspective to cultivate. Because you can have your mom and pop farm that's owned by a family still moving over time towards what we would call like a monoculture, you know, just producing one thing, whether, you know, corn or maybe a rotation of corn and beans. That's been a, a major story of the 20th century in agricultural history here in Iowa, as well as other places. That's one of the major developments that sort of dominates agricultural history in Iowa, as well as, you know, other places in the United States, other parts of the world, where you discover that you can make more money by producing uh, corn for the market. When you're producing uh, the things that you're eating there on the farm for yourself, it leads to a greater self-sufficiency, but it's not going to be the most economically profitable thing. So as opportunities improve to get crops to market, then that's going to provide an additional incentive to go more toward the cash crops, the commodity crops. And government policy has played a pretty big part in this as well, where there have been incentives, policies put in place that really can push people toward cash crops. It might relate to like your loan from the bank. Your loan is contingent on producing a cash crop, things like that. So there are indeed a lot of factors that have pushed us toward this uh, monoculture or reduction in number of crops produced. I'm drawn to farming that does produce a wider range of products that has some emphasis on uh, self-sufficiency and sustainability, as well as uh, maximizing revenues. I've definitely met a lot of people, I would say, like my age and younger, who are interested in uh, returning to that vision of farming. It's hard to know exactly where the endpoint is, you know, whether that's going to be anything more than a passion project of a few returnees or whether we're going to see more substantial changes. And like I said, it was really a government and economic policy that led us down the path we've gone. So it would probably also be policy that might lead us in another direction if there was going to be major changes. So policy and the economy factor in too. I was thinking you almost have to have as a farmer a real passion for community and for creating bigger change within your community in order to do something like a pizza farm or other forms of agritourism. I can't imagine that economically it would sustain a farm over time, especially not when it's so concentrated in the summer. I would think that at least a few settings you could probably make a pretty good return on. And an interesting comparison that is not really uh, Iowa-based at all, but uh, I've become a little bit familiar with the idea of agritourism in Italy, which there has been a really a powerful tool to help preserve more traditional agriculture. They will produce often a diversity of crops. It's much closer to the vision of agriculture existing in Iowa 100 or 150 years ago, where you have you know crops for self-sufficiency, a, a wide range of crops. But the way that they make their income is more from the agritourism end of things, you know, hosting people on the farm and serving meals, things like that. So it's kind of like what Anna Geyer is doing, but uh, it's much more widespread. I think there are government policies in place in Italy that actually foster that, whereas here I don't think that there is so much of that. So 
it would be interesting to think about how much of that might translate to the United States. Maybe it does exist more in, say, Vermont, you know, California, places that people kind of romanticize as places they visit. But uh, we don't have a lot of that going on. You know, people don't come to Iowa to visit our farmland that much. I also spoke with Marin Beard about this topic. It's really about community at the end of the day. It feels like that anyway. That's what it's about for us. I mean, we do work that we love in a place that we love. And we know that our livelihood is reliant upon our community supporting that and being a part of it. And so we see it as a major goal of ours to give back to the community however we can. So we do pizza nights for nonprofits and give 10% of total sales to this past summer. I think it was eight different nonprofits. Hmm. Wow. So between that and food pantry donations, I mean, we really try to be part of the community. Our customers really value that and want to be part of that and helps us all feel like we're doing something collectively. So what would you say is the future of farming in Iowa? Well, that remains to be seen in a lot of ways. It seems likely that at least with the current trajectory we're on, I think there is interest in sustainability, but I don't see a lot of policy that's pushing us toward a return to the past in some ways, like the small farm producing a lot of different crops for self-sufficiency. I think that the vision of sustainability that seems to be having more traction would relate to mechanization, uh, precision agriculture, things like that, where, for instance, you can now have equipment that can tell very specifically how much fertilizer is needed in each particular point in a field. So one of the biggest challenges to agricultural sustainability here in Iowa is over-application of fertilizer. And the reason you do that if you're a farmer is because you don't want to under-fertilize any of your field. But if you don't know exactly how much every part of it needs, then you're just going to give the amount of fertilizer that's going to fertilize even the part that's in most need. When you do that, then you're going to end up over-fertilizing other places that didn't need it as much. So that leads to excess fertilizer, which can run off the field in rain events, get into our watersheds and create various problems that way. So there are, as I mentioned, you know, technologies that can micro-target very small parts of fields and tell exactly how much fertilizer they need. So That is an example of something that certainly is solving certain problems. It's not necessarily doing as much to address the issues of community, of strengthening our rural communities, which is a big story. Rural depopulation, when you replace human labor with mechanical labor, there are ways that that could certainly be argued to be more sustainable, but it's not necessarily so much if you're talking about social sustainability, creating strong communities. If you were asking me to guess, I would say that we're going to move toward more mechanization that focuses to some extent on uh, you know environmental concerns. So we will see greater attention to some of these problems. But unless there's some major changes, probably not taking us down a path of looking toward what the state looked like 100 years ago or you know not toward the model that's being employed in Italy would be my guess. How did you become interested in that Italy model? Well, I was there last year, so that was where I first had experience of it. But the reason that I went there is because I had previously been interested in it. I finished my PhD in 2018, and we had, my wife and I sort of had a plan that uh, once I finished my PhD, we'd plan a trip to wherever in the world I wanted to go. Italy was where I had settled on. And 2019, we had a baby, newborn, so we couldn't travel then. 2020 was pandemic. 2021, travel was still restrained because of the pandemic. So it was just last year that I got to go. And the reason that I would say that I wanted to go was because of my familiarity with some agricultural practices there. They call them agriturismo. That's the term they use there. So I wasn't really so familiar with those ahead of time. That wasn't necessarily what I set out wanting to see. What I was actually most interested in was seeing what's called agroforestry, which is basically tree crops. 
which have some very great benefits for environmental sustainability. But I knew that agroforestry had been practiced for a long time in Italy. There was some very ancient systems I was interested in seeing and some more modern innovations. So that was the reason that I highlighted Italy. I mean, as you know from our conversation, I'm also interested in good food and, you know, Italy is well known for that. So there was a lot of reasons that made it an intriguing destination. Yeah. What was that experience like? It was really nice, actually. So the Agriturismo that we stayed at was another one of those just sort of favorite places. In some ways, you know, I'd put in a similar category to Dave and Anna Geyer's farm. It was up in the hills above the coast. It was very peaceful, stunningly beautiful. So the one we stayed at hadn't been established all that long, maybe five or so years. There were some older olive trees, I think, there that had probably been there for a while, but they were really getting production back underway. It was really neat to see the diversity of crops they were producing and the way that it welcomed people in to visit. The food is pretty memorable, actually. When you have a full Italian meal at an agriturismo, it's typically like five courses and you leave like barely being able to move just because you've had so much food. So it was like each time we went to, we're eagerly anticipating it, but also knowing that in three hours we were just going to be so stuffed that uh, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. (laughs) Do you think, could Iowa ever move to an agritourism model like Italy? It would be really interesting to think about how that might happen. I don't see any likelihood of us having like the density of agriturismos that Italy does. I mean, they are all over the place. But I could see us having like a more distributed network where there are some of those places across the state that might operate in a way similar to what you find in Italy. Even without government support, I think there might be a market for a few of those places like where they could have enough business to sustain themselves. We also spoke a bit about being Iowan. Because Brian had lived in various places and resettled here, I really wanted to hear his perspective. What does it mean to me to be an Iowan? Iowa, you know, it's not a tourist destination. You know, it's not a place with dramatic mountains or beaches, things like that. But it has a subtle beauty of its own. I had a professor in grad school who was talking about Kansas, but you could say the same thing about Iowa as well. You know, he... he He said something to the effect of, you know, any fool can love the mountains, but it takes a subtle mind to love the prairie. At this point, you know, I'm someone who's happy to be here. I'm not someone who is looking for the next opportunity to get out of the state. And some things I love about it, the people here are great and down to earth. And I love how close we are to the land in a lot of ways. Even when you live in one of our bigger cities, I've never lived in Des Moines, but I've lived in Iowa City. You know, it's not that difficult to get out into the country and uh, connect with where food's being produced or to connect with wild places, which, you know, if you're living in a bigger city on one of the coasts, maybe that's very difficult to do. After talking with Dr. Brian Rumsey and Maren Beard, I realized that I've long been fascinated by rural communities and I've been curious about how to sustain them. I'm so thankful for Dr. Rumsey, who helped me realize the fascination I had with pizza farms in the first place. And just a side note, he loves wood-fired Napoleon-style pizza and can be found making it at a local restaurant in Waterloo, Iowa, when he's not teaching his classes or with his family. Check out some of their family photos from their trip to Italy in the show notes. And I'm also thankful for Maren Beard, who took some time out of her day to explain a bit more about Luna Valley Farm and her personal calling. I recorded a longer conversation with her, which you can find as a bonus episode on Substack. I'm Sarah Davis, and this is the Warmly Iowa podcast. Ted Craig edits and produces this podcast. Please check out any resources mentioned today in the show notes and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. 
Warmly Iowa also has a regular newsletter that features more activities and the people behind them from the Iowa community, as well as bonus content from the podcast. You can find it on Substack. Just search for Warmly Iowa. As my dad liked to sign off on his letters, take care and own your adventure. 